Hello, my name is Joseph Van Harken, and welcome to Designing New Realities, an interview series that focuses on the experience side of XR experiences. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Gino Mallow, creative director and industry veteran who spent more than 10 years developing motion graphics content and UX UI strategies across platforms. For the past five years, Gino's been focused on understanding XR and how to best approach development, so solutions are intuitive and easy to use, even by someone brand new to XR. First, let me take a quick minute to mention our sponsors, my company, Third Coast Digital Solutions, and Kendall College of Art and Design of Ferris State University. Third Coast and Kendall recently teamed up to launch a first-of-its-kind innovation lab, appropriately named the KCAD XR Innovation Lab, presented by Spectrum Health and Herman Miller for a better world around you. You'll get to meet the pioneering students as they make up our panel and will help drive the UX UI focus discussion segment in a little bit. All right, with that out of the way, let's bring in my co-host, longtime journalist and owner of his own content syndication company called Media Feed, Mike Schreiber. Hi, Joe. Hi, Mike. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Okay, I think one of the, the main reasons why I'm excited for you to co-host here is your just lack of experience with anything XR. Just so you guys know, Mike texted me the other week and said that he just got his first Oculus Quest and his mind was blown. <laughs> nice. So that um, ho- hopefully bringing some of that fresh perspective, that pure point of view. Similar to our panel here, our panel is made up of Kendall College of Art and Design students. If you want to real quick introduce yourselves, e- each one of you guys, and, and just give a little bit about how much experience you do have with, with XR. Sure, I can go first. <laughs> so I came into this more with the mindset of from like UI UX design standpoint, I didn't really know that much about the actual XR technology. Um, but I really enjoy making things functional and learning. So I thought this would be a really great opportunity for that. As of now, I have a very, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how the surface level (laughs) of this technology works because it's obviously a very in-depth interface user experience, but the actual engineering has been fascinating to learn about. And Evan or Zach? I mostly had some experience uh, playing video games on a couple of friends. So my background in design was I was in print design for a couple years before coming back to school at Kendall. And I would say pretty similar to Anna, I just really like user experience and like knowing how people navigate through stuff and figuring out like how that fits with VR is really starting to interest me a lot. And like how we can come up with new ways that makes it feel more intuitive and user friendly. And uh, Evan. So uh, my first interaction with XR was in 2016 when the original Vive dropped and my college roommate and I spent more money than we should have getting that and upgrading our my computer to use it and we were both incredibly fascinated by it and I've been keeping up with uh, the news and technology about it and then found out about this program and thought it was awesome so I went out for that and I'm also interested in like the US uh, UX UI angle of it and trying to create these like very unique novel experiences that you just can't manage with anything 2D, especially for people who haven't tried it before, trying to capture that like holy shit wow moment. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll have a lot of holy shit wow moments in this series. Um, All right. 
just a quick background as to to what we're we're trying to accomplish and will be discussing. We'll cover XR and emerging tech in general, but the main mission, basically, with the XR industry over the past five years, we've noticed that the technology and the engineering side have really gotten to a pretty stable place now where uh, scalable and mass distribution of AR and VR experiences are, are possible, right? So over the next you know few years, w one of the main bottlenecks that we think there might be is usability, right? How easy is it for somebody to pick up something and, and just kind of get it and do it. So kind of looking at that compared to how we've been creating experiences over the past you know, millennia has mostly been on 2D surfaces, whether it's a stone tablet all the way through, you know, an iPad. But now all of a sudden we have the capability to interact with the full 3D canvas of the real world. So that's a little more challenging than we think as these guys are learning and, and some of the things we've we've been going through with uh, some boot camps we've done and, and some a lot of research we've been taking part in and uh, you know some project work that we're doing with some of our sponsors. So really with this series, speaking to a, a wide array of, of UX UI design professionals, both rooted in, in 2D and long careers in that, but also who are those pioneers that are, are really defining the future, right? I and mean, hopefully this will be a place where that, that conversation gets centralized and we can all figure some stuff out together. So let me see if our first guest is available. Gina, are you on yet? Joe, how do we feel about cursing? Uh, cursing's fine. <laughs> Great, because I curse, you know, reflexively. Yeah, I mean, I, I figure it'd be difficult to censor you. Correct. <laughs> Gino, are you there? Hello, hello. All right, Gino, uh, thank you for joining us. Do you want to give a quick background as to who you are, what your professional history has been, and just kind of your first experience with XR? Yeah, I I originally studied uh, at Grand Valley State University, uh, film and video with the emphasis in animation. And since then, I've done a variety of things in the media field as far as uh, 2D, 3D animation, interactive video, 360 interactive, done some uh, Unity development with uh, specifically in, uh, for virtual reality and augmented reality, as well as uh, being a licensed drone operator. One of the things that we're hoping to accomplish today is that we have a kind of a format that we've, we've thought about for this podcast series. It starts with um, a little bit about the, the guest, you. And then I'll get into a segment where we do speed round answers, giving examples of XR experiences that you've seen out there. One that's magical, one that's practical, and another that's tactical. And then we'll then train the discussion specifically to UX UI and, and really get the panel involved. But please, at any point, panel and, and of course, Mike, jump in with any questions you guys have as well. And then we'll we'll end with a prediction of, of what you think XR is going to be like in five or ten years. Sounds good. So in the XR production like your experience producing xr does anything stand out from that production especially coming from a, a 2d designer point of view making that transition anything stand out yeah i mean there, there's been quite a few different projects that we've we've worked together on and it all kind of varies based on the experience so i mean if we take it back to our first kind of integration with 360 capture 
I think uh, I think one that comes to mind would be uh, the Hayworth one, where we had a uh, we had like an hour to capture the whole uh, floor with 360 camera on a remote control uh, dolly that we had to hide behind so you couldn't see anyone else in, in, in the in the area. So the capture was one thing, but then trying to figure out a clever way to create a, a user interface for the user making it seamless that they could still navigate in 360 space was um it was a little challenging but in, in all reality i think in that case moving forward with a lot of these future experiences less is more so uh, the less cluttered you can make a uh the user interface the i think the more intuitive it'll be for the user to naturally look at what it is they're supposed to be looking at and then interact with that. Let's dig into that a little bit more when we get to the UX UI section specifically, because yeah. there are some some things I definitely want to point out. But what uh, about the uh, Hill Castle one? Oh yeah. What makes you excited about XR creating something in XR versus a, a standard um, traditional? Sure. I mean, it, allowing the user to really engage with the media that you're capturing is, I think, just a way to bring everything up. A whole nother level instead of a passive experience it's more of a it's an interactive experience so um, being able to capture the space that you're in and that you're experiencing and then recreate it in a way that can be sent out to the masses and have them interact in a similar manner or in their own unique way to experience that same space that that you know you're you're capturing is is pretty cool so i think uh that experience uh, really stood out to me because it was just, it was something, one, it was a cool experience to, to be in a castle and wasn't necessarily a haunted one, but the experience we created made it seem like it was and having the, the users explore and uh, kind of turning into like a murder mystery of who did it, you know, was pretty cool. And then having some analytics behind it all to see who, who was interacting with it, where, where they were from and how long it took them to get to the end level. So you, you captured the full, uh, the castle as a photorealistic 3D environment that then users were able to navigate in? Yeah, we, we actually captured it with the Insta360 camera and, um, and then used some software to make the space interactive. So yeah. the user could use, you know, a mobile device, a 360 or a, a VR headset and kind of have a, a walk sim- around. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Made it into a horror or a, a, a scary experience, actually. Yeah. So, uh, like, why, why, from your perspective, was XR the, the best way to do that? Why not just a video? Uh, well, it was the environment that we were in. Everything around you, uh, you would want captured. So instead of just, you know, staring at, uh, you know, a section of the room, you really wanted to capture the, uh, the, the entire environment to to be able to immerse the user and and sharing a similar experience. So, yeah, I think it. I think you really want to utilize 360 in, in a space that allows it, whether it's uh, inside of a castle or you're, you know, uh, at the edge of a cliff. You want to be able to capture the entire thing. Yeah. Cool. Let's let's keep pushing through the the quote unquote format here. In general, kind of pulling away from your direct experience a little bit, uh, wh- what's been like the most magical? What like really gets you excited about you know th- this technology? Honestly, I think one of the most like magical experiences I've seen are ones that don't involve any type of 
uh, headset or device that the user has to hold. A company that's done some pretty innovative things, Unit 9, has done some really cool stuff with projections. There's a few examples out there, but one of them that comes to mind is they did one with uh, Samsung and then also another company uh, to kind of create like a, it's like a AR VR based theme park. So they use like the biggest OL, OLED screens uh, in Dubai and had uh, users interact with uh, the elements and the environment. So multiple users at the same time. So it was pretty pretty clever way to do things. And I think ultimately that's kind of the direction we're heading is to be hands-free and have multiple people experiencing the same thing, uh, whether it be in the same space or across the world. So, so like a networked holodeck. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what do you mean, like, no device needed? Is it, like, uh, projected holograms, or? Yeah, projected holograms. Very cool, very cool. All right, um, that, that definitely sounds magical. Uh, <laughs> I want to I try that, a no-headset um, experience or no device needed. That, that sounds really cool. It might be a, 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 some fodder for the pr prediction um, section here. Practical. Um, what, what are some practical ways that you've seen XR used you know, integrating it into your day-to-day -day enterprise life. Sure. I mean, one of the early ones I've seen back when we really started dabbling in the uh, AR space was like uh, the IKEA furniture app. Um, they kind of, I, in my opinion, kind of led the way with product placement. Um, and, you know, Amazon kind of jumped on board and they're doing that now with their uh, Amazon shopping. You can find selected products that offer that capability and then augment it in your space to see if it would fit. So I think that's pretty genius. Ultimately, where things will really begin to, to pick up and, and where the masses will start to really utilize this is when we can start making it easy and, and seamless for people to kind of come together in the same space. And a company that I think has shown some really practical use and has a lot of promise is a company called Spatial, which uh, I've been kind of dabbling around with in the last week. and. Uh, got a sneak peek as to what they'll be releasing actually today on their platform to make things a little easier. Basically what they've done is created a web uh, or a, yeah, a web platform that allows uh, a developer with minimal coding experiences and uh, to kind of create an uh, inexperience where uh, people across the world can join in the same space virtually or augmented multiple devices, HoloLens or the um, Oculus Rift right now, uh, headsets. If you don't have a headset, you can also use a desktop. Um, so they're kind of just really opening up the doors for uh, a communal space for people to kind of come together, collaborate, augment uh, their projections uh, in, in a virtual space to share with others as if they were there. So I think that was a lot of practical use. We're living in a, in a point in time right now where everybody's working from home. And wouldn't it be awesome if we could have all of our meetings in a virtual environment, right? Everybody's got to be thinking that right now in this business. So like at scale, what is required? I mean, it, it, it must require an enormous amount of data to both create this shared space and make it so that everybody can see each, each other uh, at a high resolution. Like, are we, are, do we have that infrastructure? And if we don't, like how long until we're able to support that kind of stuff. Um, well, that's a that's a heavy question for a networking guy, but I mean, ultimately, the, those infrastructures do exist currently. I mean, you have 
um, when they work, go to meetings and Skype and uh, FaceTime pla yeah. uh, 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 platforms that allow people to, to talk as if we're talking right now. Um, but uh, when you kind of create the whole virtual element of it, it I, I think that's pretty impressive. And also being able to allow multiple different devices come into the same space and kind of create assets on the fly, I think is, is something pretty incredible uh, that they, they're, they're current, they, they already created, but they're, they keep improving on as well. But for mass adoption, is, do we need like widespread 5G is like all that, like I'm just wondering like what needs to happen in order for this shit to be real, like. Oh well, yeah. yeah, I mean ultimately it all comes down to having a good internet connection, right? Right. You can have a, you're not going to do much on dial-up. Uh, it, <laughs> it still exists. Bong, bong. Right. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, so I mean, it, it it's always kind of been a bit of balance between software and hardware and, and what you could do with, with whatever's accessible at the time. So I think a lot of these developers are making it so you can kind of utilize what's available. You know, so if it's a slower connection, well, how can we compress the data and experience to make it viable and easily easy for the user uh, to access. So, yeah. I think um, to your, your question, Mike, is very practical. For a practical example, the good thing is we've been in touch with the spatial folks and been part of their early access um, development over the past probably nine months. And it, it will most likely be a future home of this podcast. Now, what, one of the most practical, and, and, and again, I'm, I, I keep pushing this practical theme, but, but I think that's what, what it's going to really take to, to, to get us over this, this hump of adoption, right? Is, is what are, how do we come together? I always thought that um, the social aspect of, of VR, and that's been pointed out four or five years ago when Facebook first bought Oculus and, you know, they were really seeing the, the social future of VR, right, um, as, as in a very practical sense. Um, one of the things that, that I've been impressed with with Spatial is that from the get-go, they've always looked at developing in a way that could accommodate as many people as possible, right? So device agnostic, even extending the experience to the desktop, you don't have to even be in an XR environment. So basically, if you could imagine this setup right here, we're in Microsoft Teams, right? It's which is rebranded Skype, more or less, right? Which is a video conference. So it's it's basically the same as Zoom, it's same as any other teleconferencing thing, but you have the option also if you want throw on your, your quest and enter a virtual space. You have a HoloLens, throw that on, and then you can see a, a, a real life avatar of the other person. And then what does that open up? Well, um, th that really gets into the next question of, of or, or the big question that we're trying to explore here is, what's the best way to navigate this kind of mixed reality world or, or fused reality world? One, one quick anecdote, not to hijack your, your, your conversation, but uh, I, I, I took part in an early spatial uh, meeting and one of the things that blew my mind was the woman, uh, Scully is her last name, she drew a 3D box, right? And then grabbed it when it was complete and then threw it to somebody else. And so she just like created something. It, but I was on HoloLens, so I, I, I was in my real world, but I saw her avatar. Her avatar created this like, you know, drawing of a 3D box that then became a real asset that felt and looked real in my real world. 
It was, it was kind of mind blowing, but you know, in terms so of, the, I could be on the quest right now in this, there's an app for, for Microsoft teams in quest or something. And we uh, could no, the, Okay. So that it's, it, it's like this, but ah. then what their platform allows you to do is if you have any device or almost any device, but uh, an AR wearable like HoloLens um, or a VR that has the six off inside outside tracking. So Magic Leap, HoloLens, Oculus Quest. I'm not sure if they support the Vive Focus, but basically allows you to enter the space in a 3D way or enter it in a um, 2D way just on your desktop. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it might be something you need to experience in order to really come Yeah, away. I think I'm going to need to. Um, yeah, you're going to have to give me detailed instructions on how to pull that off. Uh, regarding the horror, the castle one, I was interested in how you handled audio, since that's a very integral uh, part of any like horror experience. Sure. Actually, we didn't cover, um, we didn't record any audio uh, on location. Everything was kind of captured post-production. Uh, so uh, then we were able to really kind of manipulate where the audio was coming from and and uh, kind of play with that as well. So if you're in a space and you kind of hear a whisper in your left ear, well, you kind of know the trigger to turn to your left, you know. But yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, in production, audio capture is, is a whole nother you know, side of the 360 uh, production, which yeah, that's that's a big, big, big part of the the UX UI design too. When when we move into that, so uh, let's let's just get the last uh, lightning round question out of the way. Tactical. Tactical. Yeah. One that comes to mind is that I've I've, I've helped with is uh, inspect and collect. <laughs> I think. Uh, that that's one in my opinion is one of the more tactical ones that uh, I've seen and had the pleasure of working on because it's it, it's taken I mean the main purpose of it was to make it easy for those inspecting products off the assembly line have like a, a foolproof quality assurance solution by electronically logging and documenting the inspection process making it easy for those uh, to just pull up a tablet capture what they're looking at inspect have a reference Pass fail, then a way of documenting that um, on secure servers, so the company can be reassured that things are being uh, um, passed or approved properly, or logged uh, or failed and logged, and then have that assurance that it didn't leave the product or assembly line um, in the in the inspection process. So. Yeah. It's a it's a great example of of, uh, of of a tactical use of of an XR tool um, that that really extends capabilities beyond where where you can go with traditional. Um, it kind of rolls everything together. Uh, uh, IoT, right, Internet of Things, um, smart connected operations in a factory, and it uses AR in a in a different way. Typically, AR has been used in more of that um, IKEA way, right, for visualization. But what this AR experience does is it uses the CAD as, as the canvas, and then it kind of goes away, and then you go through an order of operations step-by-step, step, and it captures that information digitally, and then catalogs it, right? So it's, it's not a magical experience at all, <laughs> right? But it, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very good example of, of what I think that we'll start to see a lot more of 
over the next few years, which are, okay, how, how can XR uh, get beyond the, the, the fanciful, the, the, the shiny new toy kind of thing and start to integrate with, with our life in general? I mean, are, are we going to be paying with AR experiences? Are we going to be, you know, you know, shopping or, you know, how, is it, how will it integrate on a more tactical level? Yeah, I mean, I would I certainly see the opportunities for like work stuff like, for example, like having having a short meeting or discussion in this kind of environment is great. But like whiteboarding in this kind of situation where you're actually trying to like figure something out, not really great for this. Uh, and I tried it. Right. But in a in, in, in a in a VR kind of environment, it actually could be awesome when you think about it. Right. Um, in terms of other things, all sorts of design work. Like if you want to decorate a room, you think of telemedicine or, uh, and I, I, cause I do financial journalism. I think about showing somebody how to do something technical that, um, requires, uh, demonstration or filling out forms or. On that technical level, some tools that I've seen coming up, Vuforia, which is a, um, a, a leading AR SDK. Um, has a- actually branched off a, a product that called Vuforia Chalk, and and it's that kind of idea behind like you know a remote session with your computer, like uh, kind of springboarding off of what you were talking about with um, technical help, right? So if if you needed technical help, but with something in the real world, it basically creates a FaceTime connection, but then empowers the the person who's giving you that advice to draw and make notes on your real world and it sticks there right mm-hmm. so it's not on your 2d screen but but it, it breaks through uh, your 2d screen and i can annotate your real world and help you and say no move it this way move it that way kind of thing draw on it and then it sticks so if you move away and come back it's right there right so you have a reference so it's kind of you know taking those kind of tactical leaps next which which I think you know brings us into let's let's start to get get nutty with with the UX UI questions. You know you've you've shared with us a few um, examples and and some of your experiences in terms of creating. I remember early on, you know, when we first uh, started thinking about this stuff, um, it was hard. What what was your experience making that kind of transition and and and, and training your brain? in that way it's a great question i mean i think the the biggest thing to really keep in mind is to not really fear the 2d the design aspect of it i mean you think about it is before the computer since long time ago we as humans have always written down our information on a 2d surface so whether it's you know paper scrolls stone tablets but that's kind of how we've documented uh information and and that's what we look to for information so I, I don't think it's necessarily doing away with the 2D design entirely, but kind of embracing it so that like it's just a, a little more intuitive within the XR experience. So I guess uh, like figuring out a new way to, to kind of design these standards is well, to make it more natural would, would be a big step forward. So uh, the less cluttered UI, uh, the better experience. And I think it'll ultimately come down to, I mean, we'll always have a, a, a 2D interface, right? At least currently with our mobile devices or desktop but uh, moving forward when we start to have you know 
we're not carrying our devices and everything's kind of, uh, let's say, optical, right? And the focus would be more of uh, the object that we're focused. So kind of envision like when you're when you're shopping, right? And you're uh, in, a, in a retail store and you want more information on that product you're looking at, whether it's a t-shirt. Well, I'm going to go look at the tag and see, okay, I'm going to check out what it's made out of or the price or that's that's where I'm going to get the information about that product. So I think uh, coming up with with clever ways to tuck in like a user interface within the product or whatever it is that we're our focus is on will be a way of of gathering more information uh, for for the experience. And I think it, it ultimately will become intuitive in the future. But we as designers have, have to kind of lay that groundwork and and nudge the user uh, into that direction to kind of coach them as to how to interact in the XR world. So that, that's, that's the challenge, but also the, the opportunity here to design something that is still being thought out and, and experimented with. So, um, yeah. Just drawing on that nudge note, based on your experience, what are some differences in how you nudge in, in, in 3D or in the spatial environment versus you do using a 2D design? Sure, I mean, because in any 2D uh, design, the user is staring exactly at what you want them to. But when you give them the freedom to look in 360, uh, well, you have a lot less control and you give more control over to the user. So in order to gain that back or to nudge them in the right direction, you kind of have to, um, kind of like a magician, right? like a sleight of hand, you have to kind of, instead of misguide them, you have to guide them in the right direction. So some things we've explored in the past were like audible cues or arrows or vignettes to kind of push the viewer to look in a specific area. So I think with that, we can also kind of use that and leverage a way to help the user and coach them into how to interact in that environment as well. Yeah. So kind of what, what Gino's um, uh, kind of talking about here is one of the first frustration slash epiphanies that we had early on. Mike, you'd appreciate this a lot, I think, um, coming from a documentary and a filmmaking um, background. Um, you know, as filmmakers, one of the, the benefits that we always have is uh, complete control over the frame, right? Um, and, uh, you know, when I was making reality TV shows and everything, one of the things I always tell my crew is the only reality that exists is that that which we show them in the frame, right? The meeting the audience, right? And and it was great. I I loved having that control. <laughs> but my my first step into creating a 360 experience, all of a sudden, I felt powerless, right? It, it was just kind of like, holy cow, I can't control what's in the frame, let alone what the user, that my viewer, my audience is looking at. So all of a sudden, my 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 job got exponentially more difficult, right? Totally. It's like non-linear story, storytelling, basically. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, how, what do I have at my disposal? How do I still accomplish the same results of right. communicating my point without, with having zero control, right? How, how do you do that? So, yeah. I mean, that, that was our earliest kind of, oh, man, what, what are we going to do? So I, bringing back in that Neocon experience, for example, that we created for, for, for Hayworth, right? Um, a, a couple key things that, that we drew on were, were audio cues, right, as, as Gino mentioned. So using spatial sound design. So if we wanted someone to look in a specific area of the room, you, you, you center the sound 
coming from that specific space because we don't know where they're looking, right? But if it's louder in that one area, then naturally you'll turn, right? And and be jarred or, or turn in the direction of where the, the sound is, is coming from. So that was one one kind of tool that we discovered early on is, is sound. The other was was lighting, right? Um, or color. If you go on to that, when, when we're coming to a specific area of focus, you, you darken everything else except for what you want. So it's almost cheating with that forced frame using lighting and, and only illuminating where you want somebody to look kind of thing, right? But you can't do that for the whole time. Otherwise, what's the point of being in 360, right? Or, or in a fully immersive area. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost, you know, I wonder if, if this is going to mirror how, how those kind of uh, open video games evolved. Because, you know, you had the linear video games that, that guided you, even if it was, if you could look around, basically. And then you have, like, in the era of Grand Theft Auto and all those kind of world, open world video games, where you have your main storyline, but then you have, like, all these other subplots and little missions and little interactive things in this immersive environment. Is that going to be the expectation, like for storytelling? It's what we're used to, right? Yeah. If anything, what we're doing is we're kind of paving a way, uh, we're creating a new experience for a much younger generation that hasn't really that. So, but yeah. Well, let's 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 hear the perspective from the younger generation. Uh, one one of our early XR boot camps when we first started the lab was to uh, just throw them into the fire, send them around the the halls of the school with a 360 camera and let them discover the the limitations or or the uh or the potential what did you guys find going through that experience i would say like you guys already pointed out like the like keeping track of like what's in frame and stuff like that becomes a whole new like element <laughs> to think about but as far as like for us younger we're still kind of used to the things we were like, because we grew up in the whole transition a little bit, we're still used to that, like, 2D to 3D interaction. So I don't think it'll be, like, an exact, like, oh, all of a sudden they're making, like, all this 3D stuff that only the young people can interact with. I think it's going to be more of a gradual transition still, where it's, like, maybe not even our generation gets to see that full, like, immersion. <laughs> maybe it's, like, two or three generations behind us that will be ditching the final 2D like interfaces. <laughs> like those will be remnants from our generation in the virtual world. But as far as like the uh, tour goes, I think for us it was mostly like, it came really easy to us just thinking about like, okay, so uh, how would we like go from space to space naturally in that sort of like mindset of like a video game or like a path like, what would be the easiest way to travel like through this virtual tour? Yeah, that and um, it was very important planning. We like, like mapped out the entire thing first using like little blue X's on the floor so that we would have um, the right shots so that there wasn't any like really weird long jumps to the next, like when you um, hit on the next hotspot to take you to the next uh, point, we didn't want there to be any super weird, long, uncomfortable um, transitions. Um, but I do remember 
remember at one point we uh, had one image go from one end of the room to the other end of the room and there was like a table in the middle between and we like weren't really paying attention to the fact that like you have to have a clear point of vision on the floor because people can't, it doesn't make sense to like go through objects. And then the hot spot had to be like floating in the air because there wasn't, you couldn't see the floor on the other side where the picture was taken. So it's just being like about being very mindful of where your pictures are being taken. But I definitely think that it's a very good bridge for bringing people who are really used to the 2D world into the 3D world because it's still like you don't have to wear a headset. Um, it can be fully immersive if you want it to be, but it kind of, I think, gets people a little bit more used to the idea of or comfortable with the 3D world. And I think it right now, from having no experience in XR to now having experienced a lot of different kinds, it definitely understanding that technology first got me way more comfortable with understanding the fully immersive technology. So I think that it's a good thing to bridge the gap right now, at least for me, that was, that's kind of where I was in learning from nothing to where I am now. I think the biggest challenge that we ran into is that we're still at the phase where we can gather images and information in 3D, but we still have to edit it on a 2D space. So we were seeing these huge 3D photos. Luckily we had a very large monitor but still, it would in, in the thumbnails, it would like try to get all of the information from the entire 3D picture onto a square thumbnail, and it was completely indecipherable what that picture was. So we had to like pull up every picture and then into the viewing software, look around just to realize where we were because and we were going through the hallways and the classrooms that looked kind of similar. And when you squish all of that data into a square, you, you have no idea where it is. So we just had to go completely by the captions that we would name the images for where we should place individual uh, like hotspots. Let me ask kind of a, a dumb question. Are hotspots the best way to navigate? I don't know if they're the best way to navigate, but they're definitely something that people can understand already because I think if we make a discernible button, people like clicking buttons and they recognize them. <laughs> so it's kind of just an easy path right now where you don't have to like create something new and have people latch on or try to understand that new thing or then you have to create an experience that teaches them that new thing. Like if it was some sort of 3D object floating there, they would then have to know that that 3D object represents that you can go to that space. And maybe there's something in a real world that we could use as like, a 3D object, but I think for now it makes the most sense until we get to a point where more people are comfortable with hotspots and then maybe we can like slowly start getting rid of hotspots and transition to something else. What's a hotspot? Uh, so like if you do a virtual <laughs> tour, um, which you probably have done, uh, you could, it's normally like an arrow, like if you're on Google Maps or in Street View, you click mm -hmm. on the arrow to go to the next road or the intersection road. That arrow is the hotspot. So uh, so like in, uh, in in Quest, you can either navigate by walking around or like by dropping a circle somewhere where you want to go. That's a hotspot. Yes, basically. For us, the hotspots were the points where like the 360 image had been taken. So it was like the ah, I like, see pictures were stitched together between like that's when you're moving and then when you land on the next spot that you clicked on that's where like the next picture was taken on the 360 camera okay and sorry for i was giving joe the finger before not anybody else <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hot, spot, hot spot to your 
fuck you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think the hot spots are honestly the best way to do it right now. The other school is tracking, which, especially okay. if you're standing, can be really disorienting and kind of motion sickness inducing. And something like tracking also requires a lot more data. So because you would have to do you would have to effectively like a model the entire area so you could walk through it at your own pace and not be able to because otherwise it would be like really jittery jumping and like lots of short teleporting instead of the one long like throwing the circle and landing there. But in most of the like games and experiences Mm -hmm. and stuff that I'm doing that I've played, they've gone with teleporting just because it's easier to produce and it's easier on the motion sickness for the user. Well, uh, just just to, to stay in the hot spot kind of thing. What uh, interesting point that Mike brought up, I I thought was in, in the quest. You you do you kind of drop your own hot spots, right? And then it pulls you there. Still still through teleportation. Is there a, a benefit or a, or a difference from the user experience side of things, right? Having a, a predefined area to click on, or or allowing that user to define his or her own kind of path all the way through so no hot spots but still having that the mode of transportation through the experience the same is one better than the other is one you know well in like traditional storytelling there's you can either do the railroad or you can do the open world kind of thing so if you do the railroad where you have a specific story that you want to tell and you have a lot more control and you can like make sure that it's good quality but it can be less immersive because you feel like you're just sitting on a roller coaster and you're going through an experience that someone else has made for you rather than kind of crafting your own experience by wandering around this space and really being immersed into it. So it's definitely easier and easier to produce and easier to produce like a really high quality experience if you have that control. But if you release that control, it becomes more difficult, but also a lot more real life and beneficial for the user. Would you have to take a lot more pictures and video in order to create an experience like that? How does, how yeah. is that, am I understanding that correctly? Do you know? I mean, I think it, just taking a step back, I really think, think it really just comes down to uh, what it is you, the creator, is trying to get across. So do you want more freedom for the user or do you want them to feel like they're in control but guide them specifically towards an end goal? So, I mean, in this case, especially when you're capturing 360 photos or video, you could lay the groundwork and capture every nook and cranny and create ultimate freedom for the user, or you could uh, capture specific areas of interest that you want them to focus on, but still feel in control. So I think if, if you want full control, there's better sources out there, like capturing it in more of a Matterport production where they can then just move any which way and any which direction or create an actual virtual environment uh, where they can move unlimitedly, you know? <laughs> Is there like some sort of middle ground where you take enough pictures of an environment, then recreate it in a virtual re- environment? So you're not, you don't actually have to stitch together a bunch of video, but you're basically, you've created a model yep. and then you're just, you've created enough pictures that you can yep. like overlay that's, it and then it'll make up the rest, you know? Yeah, that's something we've done right now with a Matterport capture and taking that information and applying it to a mesh that's created within Unity. So it is possible. There's a little bit of a workflow, but 
and, and ultimately if you want it to look very nice you're gonna have to spend some time to make it look <laughs> yeah. yeah it was in the details yeah when, when it was captured no it, it is possible it, it kind of goes back to what evan was alluding to earlier with just data right so what Gino means by matterport basically what they're doing there is taking a scan of the room and then creating a point cloud a, a three-dimensional data set of what the dimensions are in the room what matterport does and other solutions that are similar is they overlay or they match up the photorealistic view so you kind of feel like you're going through it and that teleport experience is a, a lot of many, many, many steps, basically. Like you froze the camera or you took a bazillion pictures, right, at the end of the day. But I think, you know, whether it's a predefined hotspot or not, is that the best way to kind of navigate this type of environment? I think I, I'm kind of dipping more into now what the panel was researching last week was wayfinding techniques, right? and different ways to use signage and present in a virtual world or an immersive world, whether it's AR or VR, right? Does the signage, should it manifest differently? Are there different capabilities that we can achieve with it? One point that kind of sticks out is the use of text, for example. In an immersive, active, dynamic environment now like this, text can be personalized or dynamic, shrink and grow depending on the user's perspective and things like that. As far as text goes, obviously in a virtual reality space, you're saying it could change shape and size or what it says even. The idea, if we go into a train station or something like that and say we all had some high-tech virtual glasses, we could then have the train station signage display our depart time. And we just have one sign that displays like a virtual thing that's specific to our device. So then we are looking through our normal glasses but they are augmented reality glasses and then they would have a sign up on the screen or like a sign that each person would be seeing a different thing but it would be customized to them or something like maybe when you get closer to a signage or something the text changes size to make it more legible or farther away i don't know if that's the right thing to do yet but it's definitely an option that's out there that could be really interesting i think ultimately we just have to keep in mind humans programmed after hundreds and hundreds of years to read things a certain way. And our signage systems are, they're pretty much the same as they have been for hundreds of years. Just a sign on a pole with a thing on it that says the text needed and then you move on. <laughs> so how can we take that and know that people read that way and hopefully transition that to a virtual world that makes sense and doesn't confuse people so you have to reteach them every time? Mike, have you seen anything with signage or anything from, from a newbie experience? Or um, let me flip the question, traveling around New York through subways, through you know Times Square or anything you do, is there anything that you think that can be enhanced or made better by the way that we use signs right now by leveraging AR, for example? Yeah, I think you know, directions and like basic navigation stuff, sure. What about having a news ticker always in front of your face every time you're walking around like the... Yeah, that would make me want to shoot myself, <laughs> sure. I think that's what's coming. I think, frankly, what's likely to happen is people are going to get devices for free and they're going to be bombarded with ads in a fashion like that is the likelihood, I would imagine. Unless you buy the ad-free version? Yeah, exactly. It's like Hulu. You can watch Hulu with, you know, I lasted like six months or something before I was like, all right, I'm paying for it. 
Well, you know, the weird thing is I did pay for it, and I'm still getting ads. I don't get oh, it. Oh, you didn't pay enough. Oh. Yeah, there's like three levels, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can see when you combine geolocation tracking with AR, and you, you walk past a store, you're going to get blasted with a coupon, you know what I mean, for that store in your face. Are you guys familiar with affiliate marketing? You know, when you go on a website, it's not traditional CPM ads, meaning cost per thousand impressions. But if you buy something on a specific website, you get a percentage of whatever it is the cost was. So it's a, so that that's the affiliate model. That model, I imagine, will be applied to AR heavily, as opposed to just display ads, which might also happen, but you know, I can imagine you walk past a restaurant looking for a place to eat. You get a coupon. All right, I'll go here. You know, stuff like that. Sure. Gino, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you're kind of spot on. Just thinking ahead, you know, five, ten years from now where everything's going to transition, we're going to uh, see less mobile devices and more hands-free optical wear where everything is just right there in front of you all the time. So it's going to be more convenient but also a little scary. So I think hopefully, you know, we as consumers can kind of control that from some aspect, but ultimately, yeah, I think technology is going to evolve and do the things that it was meant to do, which is make uh, our lives a little easier as humans. But with that comes a little more of us just kind of giving away our control, our power as well. So hopefully we can kind of find that balance in the future, but I think, yeah, we're heading towards a little more automation and handing over the control to the technology that's going to be supplied to us. Interesting. So what's our breakthrough of the week here? As we are designing these new realities, what would you say is a key breakthrough to kind of take with us for the next experiences that we create? Like you think things to look forward to or things to think of for the future? Well, just a way to think differently when we're creating new experiences. Sure. I think just like anything, if we're going to create a, a mixed reality experience for the user, we want to make it as convenient as possible. So kind of, you know, mocking everyday life and making it a little more intuitive to gather more information is key. So if we can automate that process as well, so that's a little easier for the user to essentially Google something without Googling it and then have that information automatically appear. I think that's one uh, breakthrough or thing to consider for designing for for the future. So yeah, less is more, a little more automation. So if I'm understanding correctly, as a designer, creating immersive experiences also think immersively as well. I guess just a quick example would be, imagine we are all sitting at a conference table right now, right? And I wanted to do a 360 recording of it. Is the best position for that camera in the center of the table? Or is it another seat at the table? I, well, it depends, right? Do you want the user to feel like they're involved in that conversation or just a fly on the wall? So I think it ultimately it becomes, you know, it's up to you on what you want to portray for the user. So if you want them to feel immersed in the conversations, interact, place them in a seat next to you. If you want this to be more of an observed uh, flying a wall experience, place them in the middle of the table, you know? 
a key takeaway that I'm getting that I'm hearing anyways um, is 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 even though moving into designing for a 3D space feels like you're releasing some control it, it it's really not and we just need to think better about how to recapture that control as storytellers as experienced creators and express it in in different and new ways and and ultimately we'll we'll have more power right because we'll be able to control more of the full world that they're experiencing yeah all right okay <laughs> like that <laughs> so so is that you what was the prediction you 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 jumped onto the prediction um train but but let's get there sum it up and then uh and and so 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 what is your your five ten year prediction uh hands free uh hopefully well, I don't know, hopefully, but I don't think we'll see any mobile devices. Um, I think things will progress to be optical wear or, I mean, those with obviously vision issues could be audible as well. But um, ultimately, we'll be able to just look and then gather information without typing anything into our devices. Everything will just kind of be there right in front of us all the time. So augmented reality will be reality. Yeah. It'll be seamless. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, in five years, maybe 10 years, but yeah, it'll get there. Creepy or convenient? I don't know. Yet to be determined, right? <laughs> Anyone have any final comments? I mean, a ton, but I, you know, I think I want to, you know, I have, I have lots of thoughts about the cultural impact, societal impact, what this means in terms of how we're evolving as a species biological integration, all sorts of stuff that I've thought about, which we can save for another day. But this is a lot of fun. I've enjoyed talking to everybody. Thank you for having me be part of it. Yeah, it's great. No, absolutely. I want to thank everybody. Uh, and uh, we, we are missing two key members of our team, our principal professors at Kendall that are really spearheading the lab, uh, Joan, Joan Seacrest and 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 Coe's John Cozy Attack. Next time they'll hopefully be able to join us and, and especially bring some of that traditional 2D perspective too, because as we can think and, and project as to what we think these new realities will be, it's, it's our job at the end of the day to be designing them, right? And we want to make sure that we're still sticking to those principles and making experiences the, the most um, delightful, right? And the most intuitive um, and, and the best they can be. So, yeah, there you have it. One last shout out to our KCAD XR Lab panel Anna Devine, Zach Bennett, and Evan Hatch. And of course, our esteemed guest, creative director, Gino Mallow. And yes, you too, Mike. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Designing New Realities. Until next time, enjoy your reality. Thank you.